It's chapter 24 today, so if you have your Bibles, please open them up to there. All right, um, thus far in Genesis, we've been uh, going over the story of Abraham, and we're actually coming up towards the end of his story. Um, in fact, this week, we're actually going to spend the first half of, uh, the, we're going to spend, we're going to work on half of Genesis 24 today, and then in two weeks, we'll come back to it and finish it up. Um, but this is actually a very interesting um, end to Abraham's life, so to speak. Uh, the next chapter actually depicts his death. Um, so that's where we're at in his life, and then we continue on in the journey. So right now, though, we're going to go to Genesis 24, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9 at first. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord has, had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to a servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and, shall, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you will be free from the oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Alright, so chapter 24 begins with the reflection um, on Abraham. We are told he is old and well advanced in years. As such, we understand that the promise given to him by God has come to fruition in many ways. Uh, he has lived a long and blessed life. He has received abundance from God, which includes life. We then switch gears from Abraham to his servant. It is interesting that the servant is never named in the passage. All 60 verses, he's not named. All we know that he is a very trusted individual who has placed in charge of all of Abraham's possessions. As such, this trusted servant is then asked by Abraham to place his hand under Abraham's thigh. This could potentially mean actually touching his private areas, um, which when we consider this area as necessary for procreation and the fact that Abraham was circumcised as a sign of the covenant may be much of the reason for this action, though we can't be for sure. Personally, I wouldn't want that, but it's back then. Regardless, the purpose of this is that Abraham wants this servant to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. The fact that the two names for God, which have been used throughout Genesis, are both uttered, shows A, that the significance of the oath is there, and B, that God is the God of the covenant as well as the creator God. As such, it is to him that the oath is to be sworn. He who can know whether it is fulfilled. He knows all. As such, Abraham does not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman, and instead wants his servant to go to Abraham's own country and kindred to find a wife for Isaac. As such, this would require the servant to go to Mesopotamia in order to find a wife for Isaac from Abraham's kin. Immediately, however, there is a wrinkle in Abraham's design. 
The servant brings about the obvious problem, which is whether the woman would even want to return with him away from her homeland. It would require a sacrifice on her part in order for this to occur. If this is the case, should the servant then uh, have Isaac return to Abraham's homeland instead of having him stay in Canaan? The problem with this is logical. Which is more important? Stay in the land of promise or marry a woman who is of kin? Abraham responds to the question rather bluntly. Isaac is not to return to Abraham's homeland. The question is, why not? The answer is that Abraham's call was to leave his homeland and that in leaving, his offspring would inherit the land of promise. As such, God has been faithful to Abraham thus far and Abraham will remain faithful to God. Indeed, Abraham's faith is what causes him to believe that God will provide a wife for Isaac from Abraham's homeland. He believes God will act providentially in fulfilling his requests and the oath which is sworn between Abraham and his servant. Still, Abraham does not let an, or, or does let an escape clause out for his servant. Um, if the woman is not willing to leave her family and her homeland, then it ceases to be the servant's responsibility. The servant is merely to remain faithful to the oath, but is in no way obligated to, let's say, force a woman to leave, for example. All that matters is that Isaac remains in Canaan, the land of promise. The servant then swears the oath to Abraham. He will go at Abraham's request to Abraham's homeland in Ken. He will search for a wife for Isaac there, come what may. Now we go to verses 10 through 14. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am... Standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So the servant went on his way. We notice he takes ten camels, which alone would recognize the wealth of Abraham, but he also brought choice gifts as well. The likeliest reason for bringing these gifts were to provide a dowry for an eligible woman if he were to find one. As such, the trip is not described. All we know is that he arrived in Mesopotamia in the city of Nahor. A very quick trip, even though it wasn't quick. It probably took a few months at least. Um, once there, he and whoever else he brought on the trip had the camels rest. It was a long journey, and as such, the servant recognized the need for rest. Also, he was smart concerning his location, knowing that at this evening hour was the time when the women went to the well to draw water. This would be a perfect place to meet someone for Isaac. At this moment, we see a prayer from the servant. He prays to the Lord God, the one by whom he took his oath, and the God of his master Abraham. He requests success on this mission from Abraham, but recognizes his own actions are only as good if God is in it. Indeed, it will need to be God who shows steadfast love, or what is hesed, 
to Abraham by being the one who grants Abraham's request for a wife for his son, who is of his own kin. Indeed, the concept of hesed is similar to what we find in Ruth as well as the prophets. This represents all the loving kindness God has, uh, especially for his people, thus a complete sense of God being with them as well. As such, the servant then makes a request in order to better ascertain the situation. It isn't a test for God as it is guidance. He is asking for wisdom through the woman passing the test presented. As he stands where the woman comes out to the water, he asks that the woman whom God has for Isaac be the one who asks for water for himself, but then willingly gives water to the camels as well. Now this would be no minor task uh, when we consider the fact that he had ten camels. All ten camels. In this way, the servant will know the one God has for Isaac and will also be reassured concerning the steadfast love God has for Abraham. Now, let's see what happens. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let her jar down upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. All right, enter Rebecca. Indeed, the prayer was uttered, and in immediate fashion, stage left, enters Rebecca. As it is, we are aware that this all occurs simultaneously. Likewise, we are told further that she is a direct line of kin with Abraham. Indeed, she was born to her father Bethuel, and Bethuel was the child of Milcah, who was married to Nahor, Abraham's brother. It is also of note that Milcah was actually the niece of Nahor and Abraham, whom Nahor married when his brother died in order to protect her. Thus, Rebekah is the offspring of both Abraham's brothers. This woman comes right at the moment then with her jar, water jar. I know that sounds really creepy, by the way. It kind of is. But these are the patriarchs. That's all I got. Um, we see what the servant sees first. That is her attractiveness. Seeing as Sarah was considered to be beautiful in her own right, that Rebecca is beautiful reflects the same attribute of Sarah. We are also told that she was a virgin, which may tell us her approximate age as well as the fact that she had never been with a man. Regardless, she was an attractive uh, female and of eligible marriageable age. We notice then she goes down to the spring in order to fill up her jar and then goes back up. Thus, this shows that the spring was actually on downward a bit, perhaps needing a few steps, if not more, um, in order to get to the water. It was no easy task to get the water, basically. The servant, having noticed her, like kind of like one of those coyote moments in, in um, you know, 
Looney Tunes, runs over and requests a drink. It is interesting how he makes this request as compared to what he prayed. He is far kinder to her by asking please, whereas in the prayer he simply focused on the act of receiving itself. Still, she responds kindly to uh, the request and willingly gives him something to drink. Once he had his fill, she says she will also water his camels for him without being prodded. We see the frenetic pace she sets as she quickly empties the jar and then runs down into the well, gets more, and she goes back and forth running really quickly. And it's reminiscent of Abraham when the angels and the Lord had visited him and the quick pace he set in order to prepare a meal for them. As such, she drew water for all of the camels. So she ran up and down and back again for all ten of the servant's camels. Not a, not a small feat. The servant then sat in quiet contemplation. Is it possible that his prayer had been answered? Has the Lord prospered his journey? Will his oath to Abraham be accomplished? Has the Lord done it? Verses 22 through 28. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. At this point, we learn that the camels had received their fill. The servant then takes, old, uh, takes hold of a gold ring and two bracelets, giving them to her. Technically, this wasn't necessary on his part. Rebecca had willingly offered without request to water the camels. Still, by giving her so much, it is likely causes her to be more receptive to providing the answers to the questions he asks after the fact. Um, whose daughter she is, and is there room for him, and uh, those with him to spend the night. Rebecca willingly responds to all these questions. She tells the servant that she is the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, and Nahor. We notice she has not given her name at this point, instead focusing on her genealogy. Along with this information, she says that they had plenty for the servant and those who were with him to spend the night. As such, the response of the servant is rather telling. He bows his head in worship to God. He worships God because he recognizes God has led him to the very spot at the very moment to meet this woman, Rebecca. For not only did the servant find a woman who was of Abraham's homeland and kin, but one who was very close and kin indeed. The servant sees in this information that God has shown his hesed, his loving kindness on Abraham. Indeed, While it may have taken some time in order for a servant to find Abraham's kin normally, instead he arrives and immediately finds them. Not only does he find them, but he also finds an eligible woman for Isaac, one who passes the tests with her work ethic and kindness. At this point, Rebecca runs again to her mother's household. It is interesting, it is her mother's household. 
Is it possible Bethuel has passed away? Is it that he is too old? Or is it that it's simply that this story is focused on matriarchs rather than patriarchs? Um, Is it possible that she recognizes that this might lead to a potential uh, marriage, and therefore the women tend to be involved in the marriage discussions a little bit? Um, Ultimately, we cannot be sure. All we know is that she returns to her mother's home to inform them all of what has occurred. And now we're going to leave the story there, and then we'll pick up in two weeks. Um, So, the main point of these verses are for us to see Abraham's faith, as well as to meet Rebekah, who is from Abraham's homeland and of his kin. At this point of the story, we are left to wonder the same thing as the servant whom Abraham sent. Is God showing his loving kindness? Has the servant's prayer been answered? Will Rebekah be the one who will end up marrying Isaac? At this point, we are unsure. All we know is that things look promising under the circumstances. All right. So, we notice something is happening in Genesis. And that is how slowly but surely the story is beginning to progress from father to son. And with that, we also recognize that the next generation to come is in need of knowledge of God. As such, each of us has a responsibility to do just as Abraham does here. When he tells us and tells his servant and reminds his servant, um, and we can just know that he's been doing this all of his life, when he tells them of the promises which is to be filled, fulfilled by God. So it is, every generation is as important as the next generation, especially when it comes to the faith. It is on our shoulders that the next generation stand. It is our responsibility to carry on in the faith and to proclaim the gospel to those who follow after us. It is our responsibility to be faithful so that the next generation can see the light of Christ in us. As such, it is important for us to maintain the faith, to know truth, and proclaim it for the next generation. Because if we don't, and if we fail to do this, then the generation after us will have weak shoulders to stand on, and as such, could possibly crumble. Personally, I believe we are seeing this kind of crumbling happening today in our society. We wonder how things have gone, how people think so radically different from those who came before them. Well, a reason this happens is that other beliefs and ideas come into the church and into society. And when that happens, if we do not have an adequate response to these different beliefs, then shockingly, people tend to believe them. So people believe today that there's no such thing as absolute moral standards, which means that anyone can live however they want, um, essentially, and they can do whatever they want. Or they believe that religious faith is subjective. That is, all religion is true, um, or it is all false, but one cannot be truer than another. Well, what is our response to this? Well, I don't know about that. Well... Guess what? Those individuals are going to find answers elsewhere. They will come to and believe radically different conclusions and then live out those conclusions because belief is the essential part of life. And what we believe will affect how we behave and how we live. For example, let's say that I believe that robbing banks is not only right, but it's just then logically, I'm going to rob me some banks. 
In other words, the belief robbing banks is good and just will give me justification for robbing said banks. Now the question is, what is our response to this? If you believe that morality is subjective, then your response is no response. You can't critique me because morality is like ice cream. And if my flavor of ice cream is to rob banks, so to speak, then you can't tell me I'm wrong. But if morality has an absolute standard, then you can say robbing banks is not only bad, but it is unjust. As it is, we have an absolute standard in God when it comes to morality. Through him, we know what morality is because he is moral. We know what our moral duties are because of the law. Thus, we have a response to those who believe morality is merely subjective by arguing it is objective in God. Now, if we have been making our shoulders strong by considering this, then would we have as many moral problems in our society that we have now? Would there continue to be an infinite number of genders? Would sexuality really be a big question mark? Would there be as many drug problems? Would there be as many abortions? Would there be as big as a problem with the sex slave trade? Now, admittedly, and I admit this, this is an unfair question, because we can't possibly know what would have happened because we're living in a time when we see the repercussions of what has happened. At best, however, we can may, may be sure that maybe things would have been different even if it is only speculation alone. Regardless of this, and what failures we may have had in the past, we can be sure we are meant to make our shoulders stronger by knowing God and considering his ways. We are meant to be a firm foundation for the next generation to know God by training them in what God has taught us about himself and what we have experienced with our God personally. It is not enough for us to be soft in times of warfare. And as it is, we are at war against spiritual darkness, and if there is anything this spiritual darkness does is present us with false beliefs, false ideas, and half-truths at best. How do we know this? Because the devil has been doing it since the garden, and all the darkness follows suit. So this is the point. Encourage each other to make our shoulders strong by learning more about our God. And in this learning, our beliefs will be stronger. And when our beliefs are stronger, we will desire more to follow where our beliefs lead. Like with robbing banks, if instead we truly believe we are to be a just and noble people for the glory of God, then we will live as just and noble people. If we believe we are to love each other, then we will love each other for the glory of God. None of this is possible without Christ. For it is through him we understand the will of the Father, and through him we understand the love of our God. As such, stand firm on the rock who is Christ, and praise his mighty name. For he has come that we might have life, and that life comes from knowledge of God, and that knowledge of God will direct and guide us into his glory. And as it guides us and directs us, we must continue to be committed to the training the next generation after us so that they can stand firm on the truth of Christ as well. And indeed, that is what we find in Abraham today. He is reminding us all the promises are sure because he knows God. Now, something else we notice, and perhaps the first thing we notice in these verses we've looked over today, is 
Abraham himself. We notice he is old. He's getting long in years, as they say. He is already blessed by God with old age, as well as many other blessings. And it's really funny that like the scriptures consider that a blessing, and everyone's like, old age is awful. <laughs> um, but no, it's a blessing, it is. Indeed, in these verses, we actually have the last recorded words of Abraham in verses 1 through 9. Um, those are the last things he says. Now, what do we make of Abraham in his old age? What do we make of him when he is seeing the end in sight? Does he appear to be faithless? No, far from it. Instead, we find an individual who clings to the promise who continues to believe in faith despite knowing that the future is one which he will return to the dust, as all the others before him have done. Yet, he is faithful. He believes in what God has promised, and because he has seen too much, he has to deny that the promise will not come. As such, he has complete faith in God, that the hope he has concerning Isaac, having a wife from his homeland, is well placed. Why? Because he trusts God. I suppose the question for all of us is, do we continue to have faith through the years? As it is, there are some of us who are younger, who have not been in the faith as long as, let's say, those who have been in the faith for 50 years. Or 60 years. I mean, I guess some of us haven't been in the faith for 30 years even. Indeed, this point is more for the older among us. Rather than the younger. But pay attention, Dan, Heather, and I. Um, Our time is fast approaching when this point will be for each of us. That is, I think there is something here to consider of Abraham. Despite having loss in Sarah, and despite his old age... The simple truth is Abraham is still able to see and remember what the Lord has done through bringing him from his father's home and how in the end God has continued to make him prosper in this foreign land. Now the question is, has God done the same for you? I would say yes. There is a similar parallel for you who have been in the faith for so long. For you have experienced loss. You have experienced sorrow. You have experienced what comes with the pangs and the aches of age. You are like Abraham in that you know more than those of us who are young that death is near. It is more present than ever. Yet consider it. Abraham is faithful. He remains even hopeful for the future. How? Why? Because of what God has done. Tell me, my mothers and my fathers of the faith, that's you all, do you continue to remain hopeful in the faith? Do you continue to have peace in remembering that God has brought you from your father's house and into a different land? Surely he has. You ask, how has he done it? Well, apart from Christ, we belong to the kingdom of our ancestors, a kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom, that land, is full of death, and it's full of sin, it's full of sorrow, it's full of pain. 
Yet in Christ, God has taken you from that homeland. He has brought you out to a new kingdom, a new land where you are God's child, where you have a father in heaven. Where loss is painful, but you can live. Where sorrow occurs, but you have a Savior who dries your tears. To a place where true peace dwells in your hearts because you have peace with God Almighty. All of these things are the blessings found in the new land, in the promised land. And as such, even you have been in the faith for so long, and you have labored for so long for the Lord, even you have only experienced some of the blessings, just as Abraham has. Yet the little you have experienced is so great and it's so wonderful to consider. How you and others you know are changed by the power of God to be lovers of God and His ways, and how much God can change the whole of your life. Indeed, this is my encouragement to each of you in this, that you would continue to have hope for the future. As it is, you are the foundation on which the rest of us, this younger generation, will be standing. You're the shoulders. When your shoulders are strong, and when we see your faith in your old age, and how God has kept you, It gives us great encouragement to continue on as well. We look to you. We see you. And know that we too will survive the storms of life. And that we too can continue on in the faith, trusting in the grace and peace of our God. So be strong and courageous. Know that the road can be long which leads to glory. Keep the faith in Christ, knowing that it is in Him which you find your rest and your peace. Keep shining as a light for Christ. For no matter what, if you shine, that light will never diminish. Regardless of aching bones and shortness of breath and pangs of age. Wrap yourself in the immortal as your mortal bodies begin to fade. You do this every day when you glorify your Savior Jesus Christ, walking in His Spirit, obeying His commandments to love one another and to love God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. As long as you have breath, this is possible. As long as you have breath within your lungs, you can continue to proclaim the good news of the gospel and live for the glory of God here and now. Old age. What is that? To one who is going to live forever in Christ. The aches and the pains. What is that in comparison to the joy and the hope and the love found in Christ? When this world sees you age. Let them not see your mortality. Let them see the glory of God in you. For that glory is eternal. When they look at you then, they will catch a glimpse of something which is far more than this old mortal body. But see one who has the greatest of peace with their God. Cling to this. Show us this. For in this world there is nothing grander than those who have remained in the faith so long. And continue in joy knowing what Christ has has accomplished and will soon further accomplish in them.
All of this reminds me of the gospel. Try not to wobble. <laughs> um, when we think about the gospel of Christ, we think of our origins. And today in Sunday school, we kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, we were discussing different worldviews and different ideas and concepts. It happens a lot when we're talking about total truth. Um, and we talked about origins and how, you know, Christianity is so different than what we hear from a lot of the educators today. No offense to teachers, not you. Um, and that is that humanity has the image of God on them. That we all bear the mark of the image of God and we all have this intrinsic value and worth and that we all have this ability to glorify God through redemption. Um, and it's a wonderful thing that we are created in the image of God. It makes us all artistic masterpieces. Every single one of us. From the womb all the way up. So long as you are human, you bear the image. And so we rejoice in this. We rejoice in knowing that this is where we began. The problem is the same thing that we're seeing with Abraham. Abraham's getting old. These are the last recorded words that he spoke in Genesis. And you know what that means. He's, he's dying if he's not already dead at this point even. And why do people die? Why do we get old? Why do our bodies begin to fail? Why do our minds begin to tremble? That's what I call it when you can't really remember things and things start to lose grasp and you have moments of, of forgetfulness. Why do our hearts struggle on day by day? The answer to that is sin. The reason why we all grow old the reason why we all break and are broken and struggle is because of sin. Abraham, yes, he was what we call the father of faith. We've seen him sin quite a bit, though. We've seen him fail. And because of that, you know what? He grows old, too. And he dies, too. And as Mike Hale usually says once in a while, anyway, there's two things that are sure in life, death and taxes. And it's the truth. And the tax that we owe, though, to God is the fact that we have all sinned and we deserve death. We deserve for our bodies to crumble to dust. We deserve it because we do sin. And even one sin is enough. And yet we sin all the time. So the question is, what can we do about it? The question is, how do we find redemption from the very plague that we keep on grasping for? Well, the answer to that is that you and I can't do it ourselves. And what we celebrate Christmas, every Christmas, every year, is the coming of Emmanuel, God, with us. Because Jesus Christ is God with us. When we sing about Jesus Christ, we sing about the one who came to take away our sins. We sing about the Holy Lamb of God. And what does that phrase even mean, the Lamb of God? Well, in order to understand the Lamb of God, we have to remember that lambs were used for sacrifice to take away sin. Jesus Christ is the Holy Lamb of God because through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we are freed from sin. And now we notice, though, 
That this redemption, it brings us, it starts today. It doesn't start when you die. The redemption starts when you first start believing in Christ and you start living for his glory and you live in repentance and you live in that faith and you keep going for the rest of your life and you keep on walking in that desert of life and you say, my Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through the next day, but I'm going to keep going and you keep going and God provides for you the whole way and you look back and you say, all the way my Savior leads me and you keep going and going and going and then you found the whole time Christ has been redeeming you every step. That it's his strength in you. That ultimately God really is with you. That Emmanuel, God with us, means that God is with you here and now in faith. And you continue on, step by step. In the redemption of Christ, step by step. And it's in him that you continue step by step. And where does that lead? Well, we're all getting old, aren't we? Everyone tells me. I really do think everyone here has told me at least once, except for Dan and Heather, don't get old. Um, <laughs> I can't help it, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I've failed. I deserve death. However, I have hope. I have hope that despite my sins and despite my failures, I have hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come. The Lamb of God was slain, and we have redemption through him. And so like Abraham, no matter what, if I feel the pangs of life just getting on me, if I feel like Abraham as I get older and I'm just like, ugh, falling apart, I have hope like Abraham does. Why? Because I know my God and I know what he's done and I know what he has promised to accomplish and there's no reason for me to doubt. The same is with you. The same is yours. It's not just for pastors, it's for all of us. Because we're being led into a completely new land and it starts today. Ultimately, it will be in an eternal inheritance where we get to experience the glory of God forever. And like I said earlier, what does it matter, the aches and the pains today, if we're going to be living in glory? The aches and the pains, yes, they hurt but we're so much closer every day that we draw breath to entering into the kingdom of God. We're almost there, all of us. Don't give up now. Look ahead. The promised land is before you. Don't give up. Let us pray. Father, as we consider the greatness of who you are and the greatness of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, and as we consider that through this line of Abraham has come the one who redeems us from our sins, through whom we can glorify you through our lives and with our faith. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to lead us into glory. And that as we grow older, no matter what our age is this moment, that we would continue to have the hope and the assurance that you have come, that you have redeemed us, and that you have promised us to enter into a realm of glory where all of the aches and pains will have been worth it and where we recognize that you have dried all of our tears. Father, we thank you. You are a wonderful God. You are a God who is for us. You are a God who is with us. And indeed, you are a God who is even within us. Give us strength, Lord, now and forever. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please rise as we sing our final hymn. Joy to the world. Yay.